Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On today's episode, Australia, New South Wales and Sydney Sixers fast bowler Josh Hazelwood joins us to preview the KFC BBL Challenger final between the Stars and the Thunder and look ahead to Saturday's grand final at the SCG. Now after we sat down with Josh, Australia selectors named the ODI and T20 squads to play in South Africa later this month. The ODI squad to play three matches from February 21 to 26 is... Captain Aaron Finch, Sean Abbott, Ashton Agar, Vice-Captain Alex Carey, Vice-Captain Pat Cummins, Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Jai Richardson, Kane Richardson, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Matthew Wade, David Warner and Adam Zampa. There are two changes from that squad for the ODI squad, which plays from February 29 to March 7 in three games, with Jai Richardson and Sean Abbott dropping out for Josh Hazelwood and Marnus Labuschagne. No room for Marcus Stoinis, who is on standby should injury strike. Mitch Marsh, Matt Wade and Glenn Maxwell all return, while Ashton Turner, Ben McDermott, Peter Hanscom, Billy Stanlake and Darcy Short have all missed out. For all the news on the Aussie squads and the star-studded Australia A team to face the England Lions, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Right, here's Josh Hazelwood. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Uh, Mate, we're going to start with our MasterCard moment of the week and you're up first. Um, my moment of the week's, I think Sean Abbott's comeback really, um, he bowled, he, he probably got held back a little bit more than usual, um, and we sort of set the scene, a couple of guys at the top, but the way he came back in and bowled, um, three for 20, I think roughly, and, um, you know, cleaned up the tail uh, against the stars and sort of didn't look like he, he missed a beat, to be honest. He, um, didn't show any signs of rust really and, um, you know, came straight back into the fold. So good times for us heading into Saturday. Must be a luxury to lose Tom Curran and then be able to call on Sean Abbott to come in and fill his place. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty much a, a like for like. Um, Sean loves bowling at the death. Um, you know, really taking it upon himself, I guess, to do that in the last, well, since Big Bash started really. He's one of the leading wicket takers um, in the competition and... I think he's batting at the, at the end, obviously, he's very similar to, to TC as well. So, um, like for like, and it's um, brilliant that he's, he's worked so hard off the field with his side to, to come back and, and be in the team. My MasterCard moment goes to Elise Perry, who took four for 13 and scored 49 in Australia's tenth four-wicket win over India in Canberra. Josh, um, is there anything that Elise Perry can't do? <laughs> Doesn't look like it. No, she's a, it's obviously probably the best all-rounder in the world. Um, and, and she's been fantastic for Australia for, for a number of years now. So, um, no, there's probably not. Right, let's look ahead to the Challenger final. Stars versus Thunder, Thursday night, 7.40pm local time down there at the MCG. We'll start with the Stars. You know them pretty well, having beat them not long ago. Uh, they've lost four in a row, having won 10 of their first 11. Where's it all gone wrong? It's uh, a good question. They probably start the season too well, to be fair. Um, they won 10 in a row early on there, and I think probably it's quite a dangerous game for the Thunder now with, with the Stars losing four. It's only a matter of time before before they click again and um, and bounce back. So um, obviously Stoinis and Maxwell are keys for them, and 
I'm not sure how Hilton Cartwright's going with his with his finger, but I think he's he's done for the season, and um, which sort of leaves a little gap there at the top for for someone to stand up, maybe a Madison to to get a quick forty at the start. But um, yeah, there's, there's certainly I think the bowling attack is is probably one that stands out for them, and um, if they can knock knock over probably the Thunder top order or the Thunder openers especially, then um, that'll set them up. What did the Sixers do in the qualifying final? I mean, you bowled them out for 99 and won by 40-odd runs. What did you guys do so well in that qualifying final MCG to get the win? Yeah, I think it was a it was an interesting wicket, to be fair. Um, the wicket was sort of dryish, and I guess we probably learnt how to bowl through through the way they did. Um, we managed to get to 140, um, scrap our way there, and um, what people thought was below target. But, you know, just sitting with the, our bowling attack, watching that, that unfold, I think, you know, we we're quietly confident of, of keeping them below that. Um, the wicket looked like pretty tough work if we bowled, I guess, straight, um, you know, straight over the stumps, that sort of hard length into the wicket. Um, it was sort of variable pace and bounce, so it's a hard wicket to, to hit fours and sixes on, and um, that ended up being the case, you know, bowling them out for 99. And um, I think Melbourne Stars are a big boundary hitting team. They're not sort of a, a hitting twos and threes and, and scrapping to a total. So we sort of built pressure that way by dots and sort of strangling with the field and um, yeah, managed to get a few few wickets. Is that a usual MCG wicket? No, I think it's it can be like that sometimes um, in the limited overs games, but usually there's a, a little tinge of green that sort of holds the pace in it um, and they're probably the highest scoring games. Um, as soon as it's dry, I think it can be hard work to, to I guess, hit through the ball and, and hit those boundaries. Marcus Doinus, today named the player of the tournament. Uh, fantastic season for Marcus at the top of the order. I mean, what's he done so well? I mean, apart from score, lots of runs really quickly. I think probably take that onus of, of batting through the innings for the Stars. Um, you know, the guys who have always opened with him are sort of the ones who can have a bit of a licence, so to speak. And you see opening combinations like that in T20. And Stoinis has probably, yeah, put the onus on himself to bat the bat the innings and get big scores. And, and he's obviously done that, you know, racking up over 600 runs, I think, in the in the season. And it's it's funny that he's got player of the, player of the tournament and he hasn't even bowled the ball yet, I don't think. So... Um, yeah, being an all-rounder, you'd think you'd contribute in both in both facets. But um, yeah, being fantastic for him. He got one for nine in the last game. He bowled his first over of the tournament. That's how much I was watching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, you bet that. they're old news. You beat them. Yeah, that's old news. Yeah. Moving on. Um, well, his captain Glenn Maxwell got him to bowl that over, and he's been a bit quiet in the past couple of weeks. But can you sense? The big show that he likes to be called. Actually, he doesn't like being called that, does he? <laughs> but it's a big occasion for Glenn. Uh, can you sense a big innings coming from him? Yeah, I can. Um, you know, I probably get set up by that top three for, for when he does come in. And um, if he can come in around the probably the ninth or tenth over and they're on, you know, 60 or 70, that's enough of a platform for, for him to do, his, to do his role. And even, as I said, how hard the wicket was to time the ball the other night, he, he came out and hit a couple out of the middle, you know, probably better than anyone. So... You know, he's not far off clicking, I think, and um, it's just about getting those first six, seven balls under his belt, and um, if he's on 20, then, you know, it's trouble for the other team, so, yeah, not far away, I think. What's your stance on where the best batter in the team should bat in a T20 game? Should they come in early and get exposed to as many balls? Do you want to see them up the, the top of the order, or is it more of a timing thing and how many deliveries are left? Yeah, I think I think everyone's different. I think if you've got, you know, Warner and Finch, Finch are probably our two best batters in T20 cricket, and they're at the top, so... But I think they've been doing it for a lot of years now and Smithy obviously comes in three or four, um, sort of a bit more of an accumulator and building in innings, whereas Maxie's, Maxie can strike the ball better than anyone from ball one. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Um, I think if the wicket's not as good 
as usual, I think he can come in earlier and then he can take his time on it. But I think if the wicket's good, um, it's a nice true wicket, timing's easy, then that ninth or tenth over is perfect. I think he can he can face 30 or 40 balls and get you know 80 or 90. And it's sort of he knows that how to bat in that situation very well. Um, he's done it for a lot of years now, so. In saying that, he's open for Australia as well and scored hundreds, so <laughs> who knows? I guess that is an underrated skill and to be able to hit from ball one, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I th- in saying that, I think maybe in a domestic team he can bat higher and then you know internationally he can bat down at four or five. But yeah, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Stars' bowling attack. Harris Ralph sort of almost picked from nowhere, but he's got 17 wickets in eight games. I mean, what, do, what about him impresses you so much? Probably his pace, to be fair. Um, you're not envious at all, are you? Sorry? You're not envious, are you? <laughs> no, I always love seeing good fast bowlers. Um, no, probably his pace um, with, with a great slow ball. I mean, he probably knows what to bowl at what times. And he's probably played a lot more cricket than people think. Um, you know, looking back at you know a lot of games in Pakistan they play, he might not have the stats up in, in whatever it is. But um, he's probably quite experienced and um, he just comes straight into the Stars team and sort of relish that. Bowling at the death as well, and, and even bowling up front. Um, but the pace, I think, is probably one thing that sticks out. Mm. And on the other end, of the, the, the pace scale, Adam Zampa, now Stars coach David Hussey, he might be show a bit of bias here, but <laughs> he called Zampa the best T20 spinner in the world not long ago. Uh, Rashid Khan might have something to say about <laughs> that. Um, but you've seen him up close as an opponent and a teammate. Um, he's done so well for Australia in the white ball stuff recently. What do you reckon he's done to take his game to the next level? Um, I think it's quite subtle. The subtle differences in uh, leg spinners, wrong ones, top spinners, back spinners, whatever you want to call them. But I think just his range of deliveries and when to bowl them, and um, you know, nearly every ball he bowls is hitting the stump. So it really challenges the the batter to obviously hit the ball first of all. But to score off him is, is quite hard, and score freely, it, it's tough work. So um, just always hitting the stumps, spinning it both ways, which is obviously key. I think in especially T20 cricket, but white ball cricket in general. And even saw close up in India how, he, how well he bowled in, in a couple of those games. And I think it's just his accuracy. And as a leg spinner, it's quite tough to, to be accurate. So, you know, you put all that together and um, he just keeps improving and, and keeps wanting to get better. If you've got the wood on Virat Kohli, you must be doing something right. <laughs> That's right, you must be doing something. Was that the plan over there in India? Just Virat's on, throw the ball to Zampa? Uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Well, the Quicks haven't had much success against him over the years, but um, yeah, uh, Zamps was straight in for sure. Now the Thunder, their opponents on Thursday, cross-town rivals to the Sixers. They've won three on the trot. Uh, they've they sort of snuck in to fifth place. Are you surprised to see them one game away from the final? Uh, yes and no. Um, I think watching from a distance, obviously, for the Thunder, it's um, I think their bowling attack's probably... A little bit underrated, and they've all played. You know, they've all probably played three or four seasons together now, and I think everyone knows knows their role. And they're they're not big roles, but everyone knows exactly how to play their little roles within the team, whether it's with bat or ball or in the field. Um, and just yeah, their bowling attack. There's no real big names there. Obviously, Sam's is is leading wicket taker this year, but um, they all know how to do their job, and they do it very well. So um, I guess that's what's gotten them this far, and they can do it under pressure, which um, which they showed last last couple of games. Let's talk about Sam's, the left army bowls at the front and at the back. Uh, he's got lots of different varieties there, slow balls, knuckle balls, that whole stuff. Uh, he's also the golden arm cap wearer, if that makes sense. <laughs> he's got the most wickets, 30 <laughs> wickets. What do you need to do to be successful in T20 cricket and what does Sam's do to be so successful? Uh, I guess he puts himself in a place to take wickets all the time uh, with his deliveries and He's obviously learnt a lot now in the last... Well, he's probably been playing for three or four years now, if, if not longer. And 
he's very experienced now and um, knows his role, as I said before. But yeah, I think it's just that knack of, of taking wickets, whether it's knowing how to get them with the new ball, um, it is a lot different to getting them with the old ball in the last few overs. So having your field set in the right spot, um, buying the right balls to the right fields, um, sometimes trying to bluff them that way. But um, yeah, he's, he's quite cagey and, and knows, knows his game well and, and how he matches up to each batsman. It might sound crazy, but I always feel like there's a lot of focus on containing runs at the back end of an inning, but not yeah. taking wickets. Yeah, yeah. It's probably a fair shout. Yeah, definitely. Um, the best way of stopping runs is, is taking wickets. And, you know, if there's a guy in on, on 30 or 40, um, you know, rather than bowling away from him, probably targets the stumps a bit more and uses his change-ups to try and get him out. Uh, and that saves the guys in, in the long run. Let's stick with the Thunder bowlers and their spin twins of John O'Cook and Arjun Nair. They lost Cameron Green. But Cook's got six wickets in the past two games in the BBL finals. Uh, they're not the biggest spinners of the balls, of those two, but um, they seem to be supremely effective. Yeah, I think probably Cook, especially in the last few games, he probably he's probably modelled himself a bit on Rashid and, and Zamps. A um, lot of balls hitting the stumps, subtle changes. Um, bowls quite a number of wrong um, but every ball's hitting the stumps and it challenges the batter. They can't really leave their crease because he knows he can spin it both ways. Um, but the accuracy, again, it's it's probably the key. Um, yeah, it's it's there's not much to it. It's just executing you know, his role and um, to take wickets through the middle. And I guess it's probably taking wickets again, not not stopping the flow of runs is, is probably his mindset. Um, and that helps the guys later in the innings when they're bowling it. Eight, nine, ten, not four, five, six. You know, in in the batting order. So, um, but he's been great the last couple of games. Just how hard is it to to score off spin in the middle overs when the ball loses a bit of its hardness and shine? Even the Australian team have employed Zamper and Agar in their T20 team. It seems like spin seems to be the go the way in the in the middle overs there. I think, uh, yeah, especially with batters regularly coming in. So if you're taking wickets, it's great because batters are coming in and starting against spin and it's not always that easy to, to hit free-flying runs against spin when you've just come to the crease. So um, I guess it's a different story if they're, if they're none down or, or one down and guys are in and then the spin comes on. It's a, it's a lot different. Um, guys can target you know, different parts of the boundaries or, or they've got their eye in. So, But starting against spin is, is quite tough. So um, I guess once you do take a couple of wickets, uh, spinners are straight on. At the top of the order for the Thunder, Alex Howells has been in fantastic form. Uh, he was finished third on the player of the tournament, voting behind Stornis and Tom Curran. His last five scores, 85, 63, 47, 60 and 59, which is just incredible consistency in T20 cricket. What makes him so hard to bowl to? That's a good question. He's, he's probably got the better of me a few times as well in the in the T20 and white ball stuff. Um, Oh, he's just a natural strike of the ball, really. Um, hits him clean from, from ball one, and obviously he opens, so there's only two fielders out. Quite a big, strong lad, and um, yeah, can as soon as he hits the gaps, it's, it's usually four or six. Um, but it's been great that he's scored all those runs because he's been in my Supercoach team the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Um, so that's been fantastic for me. <laughs> this might sound weird, but is do you have to think differently where you bowl to a batter, depending on how tall they are? Because he's a really tall guy. I mean, he'd be six foot or six five. And you know some of that batters are closer to five six and five seven, but does that change where you bowl to certain batters? Uh, I'd definitely say in the longer format. Um, usually, if they're shorter guys, they're not as strong down the down the down the ground um, with their drives because they're not. You know, they obviously get a lot of balls over waist tight over shoulders, so they're very good pull and cut, um, such as the John O'Wells. And then you know you can test them on the front foot because they're not big strong guys and they can't hit it back over your head. So. But for tall guys, if if you can pull on cart, you you can usually drive because you've got a big stride down, and um, you know you meet the ball down the wicket further than anyone else. So 
He's pretty much an all-round game. It's probably, I guess, changes of pace that you know can get on top of him sometimes. But in saying that, it's probably it's probably spin. He likes the he likes the quicks um, from ball one. So there might be something there. But he's in good form. I don't know if you saw that sixer he had of Blunston Arena, but that was about 120 metres or something. Yeah. Well, he hit one here at the SCG against uh, Steve O'Keefe. That went over the clock tower, so over the members and probably still rolling down Moore Park Road, but um, that was one of the biggest ones I've seen. He can hit a big ball. Uh, how important is it for the Thunder that one member of that top three, Kawaja Hales or Captain Callum Ferguson, goes on and gets a big score? Oh, it's crucial, I think. Um, that's probably their weakness is, is their middle to lower order, I guess. Um, they probably don't get enough of a hit because of those, how good those top three are and have been for, for a number of years, especially Ferg this year has been on fire with Hales and, and Uzi. So that's probably the key. It's probably the key with any team, to be fair. If you take three in the first six overs, you, you know, the stats go, go in your favour a lot of the time and um, it's no different against the Thunder. Stars and Thunder have played twice this year. Stars won both of them by three wickets in a close game at uh, Sydney Showground Stadium. They only lost six for 19, so they were cruising a victory, but then a bit of a collapse there. And then uh, they won comfortably by six wickets at the MCG. Thunder have all the momentum. Stars, four losses on the trot. Who's going to win? Uh, good question. Um, I'll stick with the Stars, I think. I think they'll bounce back. Um, I think Stoinis or Maxwell will get runs again. And I think, obviously, Zamps, Kudanile and those guys... Harris Ralph, um, too good with the ball, so I think they'll bounce back. Would you like, though, to play an all Sydney final? Oh, I think, especially being hosting here at the SCG, um, I think a lot. Certainly, Queen of South Wales would love it to be Sixers Thunder, and we'd be sure of a packed out um, stadium for sure if that was the case. But um, yeah, I just, I just can't see him getting home, to be honest. Jeez, brutal. <laughs> Okay, the Sixers, they're in the final. What's the vibe like in the group in the Sixers right now? Uh, it's great. It's great. I've obviously just jumped onto the back end of the season, um, played two games er- earlier in the year, um, but it's been fantastic the whole way through. Um, the games, I guess, have been a bit more lighter on um, towards the back end, and we've got a nice break now to do some work in the nets um, today uh, and on Thursday and Friday. So um, boys are looking good, nice and fresh, and... I mean, it's a long season, so you don't need much this time of year. Um, played 15, 15 games now, a lot of the guys. Um, so they're pretty much ready to go. And um, we'll just sort of do the finer things the next couple of days and, and get ready. When you look at the Sixers order from 1 to 11, it doesn't appear to be too many weaknesses. But what do you reckon the real strength of the Sixers is? Uh, probably that, to be honest. I mean, you see a few of the other teams relying on, you know, maybe four or five guys, whereas I think, over the course of the season, I think nearly every batter's probably got us home at certain stages and, and the bowlers have done their job more often than not. Um, so I think just that depth we have um, it hopefully shines through in these in these closer games and especially in the finals. Pretty handy pickups in Lyon, Hayeswood and Steve Smith. What kind of impact does Steve Smith have on the group? Yeah, it's it's. I guess you'd probably have to ask one of the younger guys maybe. Um, you know, he seems his normal self to me around the group. Same as he is around Australia, but I think, yeah, if you ask some of the youngsters, I think I know Josh Phillippe loves having him around. He can pick his brain on certain things, and even Jordan Silk and those guys who have played a lot of cricket um, love having him back and just talking cricket with him. They're both, well, those those guys are cricket snuffs for sure, and um, yeah, love picking his brain about batting, bowling, and, and fielding. So um, just about the game in general, and just has a, I know, I guess a bit of an aura around him at, at training, and um, yeah, he's been great. Now, we know that Manus Labashane is Steve Smith's shadow and Kiwi batter Glenn Phillips looks like his clone. 
but is Josh Phillippe mini-me? <laughs> I think he is. I think he is. Um, Marnus would definitely be sitting at home at the moment, quite jealous, I'd say, um, of how much time Flip's spending with, with Smithy and um, just being able to train with him and, and play with him. Um, Marnus would be missing that for sure. Fantastic. <laughs> now, are you going to put your hand up to pinch it if the Sixers get off to a fly? <laughs> uh, definitely not. No, I'd be my last choice, I reckon. Um, yeah, definitely not. Well, you've got to talk us through that innings in Adelaide. 12 or 3 balls, cruise time, never in doubt. Uh, well, not if, you, not if you ask me. Um, I've, I've kept saying to the guys, it's, let's not rely on that again. Um, <laughs> that was a one-off for sure. And I'd like to finish the season with a, a 400 strike rate and not get another hit, um, especially on Saturday. So, um, But no, I certainly enjoyed it. I was... Um, I sort of just came back from a hamstring and all my focus was on um, running and, and bowling and getting fit that way and I didn't really have a hit to be honest over about three week period and um, it might have made me watch the ball a bit closer or, or something like that but um, there was a nice short boundary there at Adelaide as well um, to the point boundary where I hit, <laughs> hit my three fours and um, I guess playing against Sids for so long I thought I, I knew what he was going to do and um, knew how he was going to target me and um, lucky enough I, I got it right. Well, the first one, the uppercut, that was straight out of the middle. The <laughs> second one, though, was that... Uh, I mean, I talked to Steve O'Keefe about that. He reckons that you deliberately hit that <laughs> through first slip off the edge. I usually hit him through first slip on the full, so it's, um, <laughs> it's a little bit different to, to jam it into the ground. But I knew it was going to be a Yorker, but it was just a bit quicker than what I thought and um, just jammed down to try and not get bowled. And lucky enough, somehow I got it past the keeper and, and find a third band. So, um, yeah, that was a lucky one. And the cover drive to finish off, though. <laughs> Well, everyone had come up, basically, because um, I think we only needed one or two to, to win. So there was plenty of gaps there and um, lucky enough to pierce one on the offside and, and get home, which was a great result. And then just walked off like it was nothing. <laughs> I was a good feeling winning the game with the bat, for um, probably for a first and, and potentially last time. <laughs> Don't talk yourself down there, Josh. Uh, okay, now, how have you found the adjustment playing T20 cricket? Uh, you've played a lot of Test match cricket, come back into the one-day side now, but to come back and play T20 cricket, how's that adjustment shifting down the gears, I suppose? Uh, it's great on the body. Uh, four overs, um, about 90 minutes in the field. Um, you sort of wake up the next morning and feel feel really fresh, feel like you haven't played, feel like you've sort of had a training session or something. And um, But I think the one thing that sneaks up is just while you're out there is probably the intensity, I think. Um, you know, you're running a lot in the field. You, um, you're always bowling at, at some stage and you're sort of only one over spells. So it's, you've got to be ready to go at any stage and um, everything's done at 100, 100%, I guess, and done at a fast pace, which sort of gets you a different a different fitness. And um, I've certainly enjoyed coming back and playing for the Sixers. It's been it's been fun to sort of test your skills at a, in a different format, which I haven't played much in the last, you know, five or six years. And, um, yeah, it's been really fun. I was just going to say your last T20 for Australia was at the last T20 World Cup, India in 2016. Do you see yourself as a, a three-format player for Australia? Um, oh, probably not right now. I feel like I just haven't been able to get the opportunity to play enough T20 cricket to to put my name in there and their sort of specific roles, I guess, that you know, guys are playing white ball cricket a lot of the time and fair enough, they're getting picked in that. So scheduling was obviously always tough. Um, that even the tours were overlapping so we were on a test tour with Australia and we were watching Australia play a T20 game so quite a quite a weird thing to, to be watching but um, the scheduling is a little bit better now and obviously a little bit more emphasis on the World Cup um, this time around so plenty of games coming up and um, you know if I can perform again on Saturday night then that's another step close to, to I guess being that three format player. 
where do you see yourself in the roles of, of T20 cricket? Like, are you a are you a death bowler? Are you at the front? Are you unplugging away in the middle overs? I think you've got to be able to bowl anywhere. Um, uh, the, I mean, even the other night, I bowled uh, a couple up front and, and then one in the middle, one at the end. I think that's predominantly how I'd be used. But I think everyone's got to be able to bowl everywhere because things can change so quickly. And, you know, we've seen spin it in the new, with the new ball in the middle and at the end as well. Um, so I think everyone's, you know, got to be very versatile and just adapt to, you know, what comes in front of them sometimes. Looks like the final's going to be a sellout. Uh, and I'm sure they're all there to watch the Sixers take on either the Stars or the Thunder. But the curtain raiser to the final is the Bushfire Cricket Bash with an absolutely star-studded cast. It's the Ponting 11 taking on the Warren 11. Some of these names, Josh, uh, Warren, Ponting, Gilchrist, Blackwell, Simons, Haddon, Brettley, Brian Lara, Wazim Makram, Uroj Singh, Mike Hussey, uh, Phoebe Litchfield, the youngster, uh, Lise Vellani, Grace Harris, you've got Tendulkar and Walsh as the coaches, Steve Warren, Mel Jones as the non- in a non-playing capacity. And then you also throw in people like Brad Fittler, Andrew Johns, uh, Nick Rewald, um, Luke Hodge, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting game. Are you going to poke your head out and have a watch of that before the game? I think I will. I think, first of all, we'll have to get here before that game to, to beat a bit of traffic, I think. Um, mm. A lot of the crowd will be coming in to watch those guys go around for sure. It's a T10 game, is that right? I think it's something like that, yeah. It's a T10. Can't so. get out the first ball either. Okay, that's a good rule. <laughs> that's a good rule. Um, but I think, obviously, the, the names you've just read out there are phenomenal. To have all in the one place um, playing a game of cricket um, I think the crowd will definitely come down early and obviously for the bushfire appeal which is which has been um, huge this summer and um, if we can do everything we can um, t- to raise some money for that that'd be fantastic there's always these hypothetical you know pub debates about who would play well against two but we actually might see some <laughs> on Saturday is there a matchup you're looking forward to seeing Ooh, I think Lara against Warren's always a good one um, Warney always thought he was one of the toughest guys to bowl to um, but even I was at Cricket South Wales yesterday and I saw um, young Phoebe Litchfield you just mentioned and I said, have you been practising against um, any leg spin lately? Because you've got to face Shane Warne potentially and she was, <laughs> she was a very nervous. It was still, <laughs> you know, four or five days out. So, um, yeah, that's sort of one end of the spectrum and you've got all the old guys going around again. So, oh, I don't know, there's, there's plenty there. I think all the quicks are on punters team, he said. Um, so he doesn't have to face them. And, um, yeah, potentially Lara Warne would be a great one. Yep, absolutely. All right, I think we're done here, Josh. Mate, all the best on Saturday. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Mastercard. We'll be back next week to wrap up the KSC BBL and look ahead to the Women's T20 World Cup. Until then, for all your live scores, breaking news and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app.